Here we go. You are listening to Law and Gospel on this Monday, October the 12th in the year of our Lord 2020. I'm Pastor Tom Baker. And on Mondays, we take a look at readings for the following Sunday, which is the 20th Sunday after Pentecost, October the 18th in the year of our Lord 2020. The readings come from Isaiah chapter 45, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, and Matthew 22. What we're going to be taking a look at is Matthew 22, 15 to 22. And the reason I really like this passage is that it gives an example of how Jesus does witnessing. Uh, particularly to those who are not believers. And we can learn something from that. So without further ado, let's take a look, beginning with verse 15. Remember, the Pharisees, many of them hated Jesus, and they wanted to get him to say things that would be really inappropriate. Uh, For example, you can see that technique attempted by politicians when they have debates trying to get the other politician to say something that would make him lose votes. Well, verse 15, then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle Jesus in his talk. You know, that had been tried before. A rich man comes to Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Same question asked by a lawyer. Uh, Those are in Mark 10 and Luke 10. And they're expecting Jesus to say, oh, you don't have to do anything, just believe in me. But instead, he says, well, you know the commandments, don't you? And he asks a question, and they answer, yes. In fact, the rich man says, I've observed all the commandments from my youth. Well, well, that certainly is going to sink him. And then the lawyer says that, yes, I have obeyed the commandments, and who is my neighbor? In fact, he answers the question from Jesus, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and your neighbor as yourself. All right. So the Pharisees are going to send their disciples to Jesus to try and entangle him in his talk. Verse 16, And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Now, the Herodians were a group of people who really fastened their attention on Herod, and they were not particularly enamored with Jesus either. But they had high IQs, And this shows you, it doesn't matter how high your IQ is, but if you don't have wisdom, you're really going to get into trouble. And so they first of all have to butter Jesus up. Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully, and you do not care about anyone's opinion for you are not swayed by appearances. So this is a tactic that the world often uses to try and entangle Christians in their talk. 
they pretend that, well, you're a good person. Uh, I really appreciate some of the things you say, but let me ask you this question. And then when they go to ask, ask the question, it's a question in which they're trying to make sure that the person is going to get entangled in what he has to say in his answer. So what's their question? Verse 17, Matthew 22. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now, Jesus, verse 18, aware of their malice. Now, wait a minute. How is that a malicious statement? Well, he recognizes that they are not coming to hear the truth, but as the verse says, to entangle him in his talk. So why is that a question that could get him entangled? If he says, oh, definitely give taxes to Caesar, then many of the Jews would be opposed to him because they hate the Romans. They expect the Messiah to get rid of the Romans. And if he says, no, Rome is not God's kingdom, therefore do not give taxes, well, then they can use his words to get the Romans to arrest him. So how's he going to answer this? Jesus, aware of their malice, begins with a question. Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? So he doesn't fool around. Jesus never backs off from a preaching of the law. And what's a preaching of the law? A preaching of the law is to help a person recognize that they are unable to save themselves by their works. And what is a hypocrite? A hypocrite actually comes originally with the word being an actor. This is somebody, let's say they come to church, they sing the hymns, they give offerings, but they don't really believe in Jesus Christ as Savior. A lot like that rich man in Mark chapter 10, when he asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, oh, you want to do something? Well, let's get rid of that sin you have in hoarding money and trusting in your wealth. Give all to the poor and come follow me. Well, he goes away sorrowful. Now, the disciples are shocked because this rich man gives good offerings. Second of all, he probably attends worship because he can hire people to work in his fields. And so they asked Jesus, who then can be saved if he can't be? And Jesus says clearly, with men, it is impossible. And so there we have in Mark 10, a clear teaching that as we say in the liturgy, we cannot get rid of our sin. So God does it for us by sending his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, into the flesh, who takes upon himself on the cross the punishment for our sins.
So how does Jesus not get entangled with this question? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Aware of their malice, why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. Now, this is kind of interesting because that was kind of the pay for a day's labor. Uh, remember that parable where Jesus or the farmer hires people early in the morning and he promises to pay them a denarius. Then he hires people later in the morning, at noon, in the afternoon, and one hour before closing the farm. And what does he do? At the time of closing, he pays all of them the same amount of money. There, there's an example of God's grace. But of course, some people get angry because look how long we've worked and they get the same pay as us. So people were anxious to get a denarius or more because of their work. So Jesus asked, show me the coin. And then this is the technique I really like. He asked a question, whose likeness and inscription is this? Now, there was a likeness of Caesar on the coin. Uh, just like in our money, we'll have various presidents of the United States, etc. Well, they did that also. And whose likeness and inscription is this? They say, Caesar's. Then he said to them, therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God. So what Jesus does, he, he takes what many of them appreciate receiving, namely a denarius, and when they get paid, they do owe some tax. And since they get paid by a denarius, they're getting paid, in a sense, by Caesar. And they are to render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. That is expounded in Romans 13, where the Apostle Paul speaks about the distinction between the two kingdoms, the temporal realm and the spiritual realm, or the government and the church. And God has a different set of rules for each of them. In the temporal realm, God is just giving a person what they deserve. So if you work for a day, you get a denarius. But in the spiritual realm, God is gracious in giving a person what they do not deserve. Remember that parable where those who worked only one hour got the same pay as those who had worked a much longer time. So the point that Jesus is making is clear that in the temporal realm, and Romans 13 talks about this, we are to obey the governmental authorities 
for God has established the government to keep order in the world. See, that's the goal of the government, so that chaos is minimized. Uh, imagine those people who want to get rid of the police. Did they really want to do that? They, they may have some views that some of the police are not nice when they arrest someone, but that doesn't mean you get rid of the police. In fact, if there's ever an area here in St. Louis that needs additional police, it's where many of these people live, where murders occur on a regular basis. In fact, there was this individual, a gentleman in St. Louis, who climbed a tree and he said, I will not come down until we have a day where no one gets killed. Well, he couldn't keep that promise because every day somebody was murdered. So we can't stop evil, but we can use the government. That, that's why Jesus says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. When something happens to us, we don't go ahead and get even with a person. Uh, yesterday in adult instruction I was teaching, we got into the concept of forgiveness. And I made a point that the forgiveness that comes from God is really a different forgiveness that comes from us. What, what was I talking about? Well, for example, let's say somebody robs your store and breaks a bunch of stuff. You go to court, and he's not repentant at all. And he admits he robbed the store. And you look at him and said, I want to tell you I forgive you. What does that mean? because you're forgiving someone who's not repentant. Human beings do do that often. And sometimes they say, I forgive you, which means something quite different. For example, in the liturgy, uh, prior to particularly a communion service, there's always a confession of sin. We confess that we are poor, miserable sinners deserving nothing but temporal and eternal punishment. Now, when the congregation finishes that confession, the pastor begins the absolution, which is to forgive them with these words, upon this, your confession. And then he says, I, by virtue of my office, as a called and ordained servant of the word, and by the authority of Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins. You see, forgiveness from God means that you will not end up paying eternal hell for it. You're freed from that eternal punishment. That's the forgiveness from God. But when we forgive someone, and it's not on the basis of their repentance where we can say even God forgives them. When we forgive someone, it means that we're not going to get even with them. We're not 
going to personally hold them to account. And so the storekeeper, he's not going to break into the robber's house and steal stuff from him. No, but he is going to allow God's government to take proper action and justice. That's what vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. So yes, you hear a lot about people forgiving others. And what it often means is I'm not going to hold you accountable in the sense of getting even with you. I'm not going to take revenge. In fact, um, I've been watching on YouTube Midsummer Murders. It's really an excellent program, but I don't know where the Midsummer realm is, but boy, do they have a lot of murders. And they're almost always done on the basis of uh, adultery or homosexuality or the love of money, etc. And you kind of work with the two policemen who are the lead characters in trying to solve the crime. And some of the murders occur because people are getting even with someone. Even if it was done, the one I saw yesterday, it was done 30 years ago. And that person was killed for something he had done 30 years ago. So there was no forgiveness on the part of the murderer at all. So we do make this distinction. When we say to someone, I personally forgive you, that's not necessarily the forgiveness from God because that takes an act of repentance. How do we know that? Jesus said to the disciples on the night of his resurrection, whosoever sins you remit, that is forgive, they're remitted in heaven. And whosoever sins you retain, they're retained in heaven. In other words, forgiveness does not get rid of the fault or the guilt. What does that mean? It means that when we forgive and we're speaking for God, we do so on the basis of the person repenting of their sin. So when we say to someone who's done something wrong to us, maybe they've done a rumor against us, and we say, well, I forgive you. They, they may not even be repentant at all for what they've done to you. But that means you're saying to them, I am not going to get even with what you have done to me. That's really a private forgiveness. But if the person confesses that, yes, I did say these things about you and I'm truly sorry for them, I should have never have opened my mouth. Then you can say, I forgive you and God forgives you because you now have repentance, which is necessary. That, that's why John the baptizer was sent as the forerunner to Jesus. He did not have a sacrament of water 
that gave the Holy Spirit, he had a baptism for repentance that would lead to the forgiveness of sins. But do you see how God worked this? It was even promised in the Old Testament, uh, the return of Elijah uh, prior to the coming of the Messiah. Jesus himself points to John the baptizer as the fulfillment of that promise. And what did John the baptizer do? He prepared people for the reception of the forgiveness of sins. And how did that preparation take place? By people recognizing that they had sinned in these areas that John the baptizer pointed out and therefore became repentant of them and they were ready for hearing the forgiveness from Jesus Christ. But there were some who listened to John the baptizer, the Pharisees, and John said to them, who warned you uh, to come? John recognized them as hypocrites. They really did not repent of their sins because they didn't think they were that big a sinner. It, it reminds me of the parable that Jesus uh, told in yesterday's gospel. Big wedding feast. And those who finally came were dressed in a wedding garment, except for this one man who did not have a wedding garment on. And the king asked him, why do you not have a wedding garment on? And he was speechless. He wasn't able to answer. In the sermon, I gave an example of where you would end up being speechless and the reason for it. I said, you go to a grocery store to buy food, you put it all in your basket, and you take it to the counter, and the woman at the counter will not tell you what the price is, won't take food out of the basket and calculate it. And she says, where is your badge? Now you will remain speechless because you didn't think you needed a badge. You've gone to a lot of other stores and there was no badge necessary. So you remain speechless to her question, where is your badge? You don't know what she's talking about. That's what happened to the man without the wedding garment. Where is your wedding garment? He remained speechless because he did not think he needed a wedding garment. Why not? He was like many of the Pharisees of that day. They were good enough to get to heaven. Remember that one Pharisee? Thank God I'm not like that tax collector because I give tithes. And he, he started rallying off the ceremonial laws he was obeying. Well, that isn't sufficient. Even obeying the moral laws one can never do that perfectly. So the person without the wedding garment is unaware that they don't have the wedding garment on. So how do Christians know they have the wedding garment on? Because they have confessed that they're poor, miserable sinners 
and therefore cannot get rid of their sin and look to Jesus and his promises to help them. That's the evidence why you have the wedding garment on because of your confession of sin and trust in the promises of Jesus Christ. So in verse 22 of Matthew 22, after Jesus puts the hypocrites in their place, when they heard it, they marveled and they left him and went away. The point I want to make is a lot of times you can get somebody to understand the Christian faith by asking them a question, not by telling them what they are to believe. I've done this in Uber. I've mentioned it before. I'll say, do you believe in God? Yes, we do. What promise does your God give you? And a lot of time, there is silence because they believe in a God that doesn't give promises. Gives you the opportunity to talk about the true God. On tomorrow's Law and Gospel, with the help of Mark Smith, we'll take a look at the hymn, Holy God, We Praise Thy Name. I'm Tom Baker. Till tomorrow on Law and Gospel, God bless you. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.